Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Welcome to the LTC University Podcast. My name is Jamie Preston, and today we have Scott Middleton, the founder of SC House Calls. Scott, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Jamie. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Scott, give us a little bit of background. Now, you've been on the podcast before, but for some of those new listeners, give us a background of you, what you've done in healthcare. Yeah, um, just just do a real quick. Um, I started out as actually a Methodist minister with an accounting background. Um, went back to school and got a master's in healthcare administration about 25 years ago, and just fell in love with um, uh, healthcare related to senior adults. And so over the years, um, I've kind of progressed. I was in the assisted living business, did skilled nursing facilities, later did hospice, um, worked with a pharmacy, um, ambulance company, a little bit of everything. And then a few years ago, um, started into the practice management of, of uh, physicians who and nurse practitioners in particular who were taking care of senior adults. And so we founded a few years ago a company called South Carolina House Calls with the intent of being able to care for patients in their own homes. So no matter whether a patient was in an assisted living or a nursing home or in their home setting where they've lived for 40 years, we wanted to be able to care for them. And fortunately, about two years ago, Medicare actually changed their regulations Whereas before, we had to prove that a patient was considered homebound, that they would not be able to go to a doctor's office. But two years ago, Medicare actually came out and said, look, we don't care. Um, What we're finding is that patients um, who are seen in their homes are more likely to be healthier um, and and because they will see the, the practitioner on a more regular basis that the trip to the doctor's office is actually causing an impediment to getting those care. And so they took away that regulation. So literally right now, if you're, you could be a Medicare patient playing golf three days a week. And if you want a home care visit, then we can go out and do that home care visit and build Medicare for those rates related to home care. Because what Medicare realized is that the closer you get to the home setting and caring for a patient, the, the better their health is going to be. Right. That's awesome. That's a great service. Um, hopefully when I'm available to get Medicare, you can do the visit on the golf course. That would be even better. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Today, we want to talk about value-based pricing for the future of healthcare. And Scott, the first question is, in the future, how will Medicare pay for healthcare? Yeah, so Medicare is rapidly transitioning from what they call a fee-for-service where you go to a doctor, you see the patient, the patient's seen, and then the doctor bills Medicare for that service to what they call um, value-based pricing. And value-based pricing actually puts together um, a whole host of, of quality indicators related to uh, a patient, and then that reflects back to that patient's um, primary care physician. So the way, the way Medicare is actually paying in a lot of places now is they look at a patient, they determine what they call risk factors that are related to how much this person is going to cost them. And so they pay, the Medicare pays an insurance provider different amounts of money 
uh, based on those factors and what's going to be spent. So, for example, um, you could have um, a 65-year-old woman who is in pretty good health, and Medicare might reimburse the insurance provider $500 a month for that patient, which what it means is that the, the insured now is responsible for all of her health care related to anything. So if she goes to the hospital, they have to pay, pay that out of their own pocket, but they're only going to get about $6,000 a year. So hospitalization costs 15000 at minimum. Then, so they would, the insurance carrier would lose money if that woman's risk was dated as low. But on the other hand, they may have a 65-year-old man who is in terrible health that they could actually, Medicare is paying the insurance provider $2,000 a month or $24,000 a year um, for that care. So the insurance carriers are going to get paid more based on that higher acuity. But the truth, they just want to spend less money. Right. And so what you have to really look at is how do you bring value as a provider, as, as a hospital system or whatever, how do you bring uh, value to it so we can take care of people um, with spending the least amount of money but doing the best care for a patient. Yeah, and and you guys do that by keeping people out of the hospital, I'm sure, a lot of times. Yeah, so, so we started our practice with our, our underlying mission. We don't put this on our website, but our underlying mission is truthfully to keep people out of the hospital. And, and I really have to say to prevent unnecessary hospitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority, for example, but 90% of all patients on, uh, that are on Medicare go to the hospital as a result of noncompliance with medications. They either have not taken their medicines properly, they didn't take them at all, or they took too many, but something related, or maybe they were prescribed too many by a particular practitioner. Mm -hmm. And so they may be taking meds that they shouldn't or interacting with each other. So one of the easiest ways to reduce healthcare costs in this country is just make sure that people are taking their medications uh, appropriately. Um, A patient is presenting themselves in a doctor's office where our doctors generally in this country spend seven minutes with a mm-hmm. patient. Um, is you're not likely to figure out that that person is non-compliant for their medication because they can tell you anything. Yeah, I'm taking my meds every single day, and and then they're really not. So um, by doing that home visit, we're a- able to go out and really take a look at. All right, show me all your meds. Where are they at? What are you taking? And then even asking questions about their supplementals because they'll you'll start seeing other things lying around. Well, wait a minute. I didn't know you were taking vitamin E or you're taking extra D or, or you're taking a Tylenol PM. Um, I always tell our providers if there's any way to open the refrigerator, they're the number one way to tell what's going on with a patient too by looking at what they're eating, what they're not eating, um, you know, are, are they got leftovers piled up that could be there from three weeks ago? They're mm-hmm. likely to get sick if they eat it. You know, what you and I can eat because we're healthy adults um, in terms of I might be able to eat something that's been in the refrigerator three days, a senior adult could eat it and, and end up with a sickness related to it. So because they're just not able to fight some of the infections that might be related to that. So yeah. By getting into their home, we really discover a whole lot about that patient. Yeah, you get to see the real person. You know, in the doctor's office, they may say, "Yeah, I smoke, you know, two cigarettes a day." 
and you get to their home and the ceiling's yellow. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's ten packs. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, let's jump uh, into these risk assessment factors. Tell us what that really is and, and break that down for us. Yeah. So, um, so the way the way the um, we we start to assess a patient. Um, the government has come up with a very intriguing way, and I'll, and I'll have to actually say, I was on a coaching call with, this, with some people this morning, and I said, the people in Medicare, I think, are brilliant. And, and I know we always like to bash our government in a lot of different ways, but being a healthcare provider and taking a look at what our government is doing in Medicare, they're, they're, just, they're actually so far out ahead of us. It's, it's amazing. So uh, Medicare came up with a program, and it's called Risk Adjustment Factors. And what they're able to do is they, they expanded the diagnostic codes a few years ago, um, and they're called right now ICD-10 codes, which um, are diagnostic uh, codes for whatever's wrong with you. Just to give you an idea, there's 150,000 different codes. Wow. So as an example, if you go in as an adult and you've got bit by a squirrel on the knee, there's a code for that. What is that code? Do you but know there's it? All, no, I have no idea what the code is. But there's also a code if you got bit by a raccoon, which is a different code. Wow. You know, so, so it's a way for the government to gather a lot of information about what's going on with people and start to build and put together predictors of what can happen to folks. So, um, you know, and I guess if, if I put an ICD-10 code in, in, in the, of, a, of a raccoon, which could be very, it could be rabid, and then all of a sudden the government's seeing that, hey, there were 30 raccoon bites in this area at one time, they can say, wow, we got a problem and we got to go address the raccoon issue, I guess. Yeah. But, um, but they have all these diagnostics codes. And so what happens is that every time the providers address the codes on these ICD-10 codes or these risk, that it creates a risk adjustment factor. And the good thing is that as we're billing Medicare, so as a practice a, a provider with us, we'll go see a patient and we'll put in these risk adjustment factors will show up in the billing when we bill Medicare. But they'll also, Medicare will have, the, the factors from the orthopedic or the cardiologist or the hospital that they went to, and they pull together to put that into a code. Um, and so you end up with, an, uh, with a number, and the numbers go from zero all the way up to 10. But I will say that most of the people in our practice are, are between a zero and a five. So you could be like actually I had our risk my risk adjustment factor pulled at least for our practice I can't see everything Medicare sees but I can see for our practice and so I pulled it and I'm actually a point three four and it was completely related to my age there was because I'm a pretty healthy person um, but what I did discover when I took a look at it is I have high cholesterol and so while the while the I know that I have high cholesterol my doctor knows that. When my doctor saw me last, he didn't pull that uh, that diagnostic code into the conversation that he had with me, mm -hmm. even though we had it. So actually, when when I pull that over, I'm probably going to be about a 0.5. Yeah. Whereas if you were a, a 80 year old man with, actually I pulled one the other day, 80 88 year old man with lung cancer, depression, and diabetes, and he was a, a 3.2. Hmm. Which is which I thought was pretty low yeah. concern considering his lung cancer. So what we really found was that 
Um, most of the patients that hit a four to anything above a four, they're probably in the last few months of their life. Right. And and so even though you could the ten person literally was somebody in the skilled nursing facility, been there for ten years, who's completely comatose, you know, I mean it was really extreme because yeah. you think about it, there are 150 different codes, um, so the average person in our practice probably has about 14 different risk factors that we're watching and following. But um, so what happens is the providers have to become extremely skilled at looking at everything and as, as often as possible in order to get that risk adjustment factor uh, exactly where it needs to be. Because this way, the, we're able to do a lot of predictors with the risk factor. So for example, you know, you come into, I go see you as a provider and I already know that you're a 3.2. Um, I really need to be looking at a lot of different things about you and I need to be looking at what I could do to reduce those risk factors uh, for you. Um, and making sure I'm dressing everything so that I don't, uh, that I can prevent the hospitalization. Yeah. So each one of these diagnoses are scaled. They have a certain number and that those diagnoses add up. That's where you get your score. Right. And, and there's other things that run into the factors. For example, age is definitely mm -hmm. one. Um, and so that, so for example, on the 88 year old man, I was telling you about, he had, he had, he had a 3.0. He actually, his risk factor was about a 1.1 because of his age and because mm -hmm. of him being male. And uh, that also included his, he was low income. And, and somebody said, well, how do they know somebody's low income? Well, he was on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. So we automatically knew that. Right. So um, then he got, he got another point because he had lung cancer. He got, he got half of a point because he had depression. So a lot of times, you know, a physician will be addressing a lot of issues, but sometimes they skip the mental stuff or they fail to put that in the record. Mm. And having somebody who has a history of depression or if he were on a anti-anxiety um, medication. So we've even pulled and looked at some of our providers sometimes who are are giving a patient um, an anxiety medication or anti-anxiety medication and yet they haven't diagnosed the person with the, the right code. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anxiety might have, for example, five different codes. And, and anxiety may not even be the technical term. Y'all have to understand I'm not a clinician, so um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't deal with it on a daily basis. So, but you have to look at the technical term. Diabetes, you know, is it managed or is it not managed or how is it being managed? So recently I had um, somebody in our company and they said they were looking, um, their, grand, their grandfather um, was, uh, was a patient of ours. And she said she and her grandfather were looking at some of these factors and he had diabetes, but it hadn't been addressed in a long time. And so it wasn't showing up in his risk factor score. Mm. And, and the reason was he was managing his diabetes with diet. And so somewhere along the line, though, the provider, I'm sure, discussed that with him and said, well, hey, how's your diabetes? Well, everything is fine. But he didn't really show that he had addressed anything with it. So it wasn't showing up on his risk factor. Gotcha. Now, where the importance of that is, is if you're an insurance company and your doctors are not putting everything in and you're getting paid less, and the next thing you know, this guy's not adhering to his diet, his diabetes flares up and he ends up in the hospital, then it wasn't, the factors weren't adjusted appropriately. The insurance didn't get paid properly for it. 
um, and and some other doctor out there might have missed it and knowing that there was that was something I need to address because you mm-hmm. know we don't always see the same doctor every time. Yeah, and then you have a fifteen thousand dollar bill versus you know a hundred and fifty dollar <laughs> visit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how do these providers, you know, now and in the future practice differently than they have in the past? Yeah, so it's become so important. The documentation and the specifics of the documentation are, are so extreme. And, and, and particularly some of our older providers are having a difficult time having to practice medicine differently. And, and the, the, there's a couple of differences. One is that we're finding that, that more and more people do not have um, what I call a primary care attending physician, somebody that they go to and that really knows them regularly because it's impossible in this day and age. You know, my, my great, my grandmother's grandfather, so I don't even know how many greats that back, but my grandmother's grandfather is the only doctor in Harlan, Kentucky um, for probably 30 something years. And so anybody he took care of, he was the only doc. He knew everything, but he also worked every day of the week and he couldn't go to church without being bombarded, you know, from people, well, this is wrong with me or this is wrong with me. And so nowadays, you know, physicians want to have a, a lifestyle like anybody else does. And so most of our providers are actually working what they call track systems where they work 12 hour days and then they have a partner who covers for them on the opposite. Uh, on the opposite days, so every so the documentation becomes extremely important because if I didn't see you last time, I need to be able to know well everything that exactly happened. So it gets real important for us to get really down into the weeds of the diagnosis codes, but also in the documentation of everything that's going on with that patient, and making sure that we're addressing every single thing. Because here's what we have found is that the, the longer a patient is able to, to a long, the longer a physician is able to be with a patient, to find out everything about them, to build that relationship and have those documentations, the less likely we are to see them hospitalized. Mm-hmm. So we've actually had a few of our referral sources like hospitals and, and nursing homes that will send the referrals to our, the patients that they're leaving their facilities for us to be at home who go, well, wow, Scott, when you go out there, though, you're billing a lot. You know, so we, we may go out to see a patient and on average, our, our patient charge to Medicare is about $250 for that home visit. And so somebody says, well, gosh, that's a whole lot. And actually, it's not a whole lot different than the clinic visits is what we're finding. Um, but, the, but we go out there and see that patient. We, we bill Medicare an awful lot. But let's say, like, we had a patient last year who has been very sick. She'd been hospitalized four times within the last, I think, four to six months. Wow. So every time she went to the hospital, it was about a $15,000 charge to Medicare. So, um, so she she spent fifteen times four sixty thousand dollars, not include not including all the doctors' visits and the things that she had done. So her Medicare probably paid that year over a hundred thousand dollars for her for her expenses. Wow. So we started seeing the patient, and over the course of the next year, we saw that patient fifty two times in her home. Now, um, so at the end of that, we billed Medicare just under nine thousand dollars. So in, mm-hmm. in a year of time, we helped this patient spend less than $9,000. We, 
or Medicare to pay for it versus a hundred thousand a year before. Yeah. So so what you so what the interesting thing about this for providers is that in their quality scores, and so Medicare now pulls all their data and they determine quality indicators. So if you had a patient that you had not that didn't have an appropriate risk assessment score. So let's say that that person that has a, a me, like a 0.34, and I end up in the hospital, then what it looks like is that the provider didn't do their job right. Mm-hmm. You know, So the providers are actually getting dinged, and, and, and because I went to the hospital, my risk assessment score didn't show that I should be hospitalized ever, and I did, then what happened? You know, what mm-hmm. went wrong? And somehow did the provider miss something? So in the quality indicators and the quality scores for, for the physicians, they actually have one that's related to cost of the patient. So if if I'm a high cost patient and I wasn't anticipated to be, then whoever is considered the primary care physician will then end up being penalized, but because of that, and so it reduces their their what they call their um, medical uh, assessment scores, and so it and then and then in the future Medicare as they transition to this value base. That they're right now giving in your the only way a physician can really get an increase in their rates every year. There's not like a modifier for for um, inflation or anything in there. The only way they get a raise is based on these scores. So, so for example, this past year we had one of our providers who received a 1.25 percent increase in his Medicare payments because he had really good he had low uh, um, really good quality indicators, mm-hmm. but what was interesting is the average age of his patients are probably about 82, wow. and he had zero, zero patients hospitalized last year. Yeah, this guy is just phenomenal. So Whereas it's really based else, on they're really looking at those outcomes. Oh, yeah, they're really looking at the outcomes of the patients. So if you're a high, if your your patients are spending a whole lot of money out there, um, it, then then what's going to happen is you're going to see a lower reimbursement rate, but your quality indicators are lower. Mm-hmm. So that's why we, it's really been a, a hard hard just trying to help educate all of our providers to be, really know that their documentation is extremely important. But what we've also found is that, you know, as I've said before, the average doc um, right now is is seeing 30 to 45 patients a day in their office and spending an average of seven minutes with them. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's not quality. So what Medicare has done is Medicare has allowed now they've put together in their codes. Now, you can you can bill somebody based on the, the, the complexity of the decision making that that it takes to make a visit. So if somebody has 12, you know, problems with them, it's a whole lot more complex to take care of whatever their issue of the day is mm-hmm. with 12 things wrong than with none or one. So um, they they pay based on complexity, but they also give you these prolonged service codes, which allows you to bill if I spend more time with the patient. Uh, they also now give you um, allow you to bill what they call non face to face, meaning that I can take your hospital records and I can pour over those while you're not sitting in front of me before or after your visit, and I can pour over those and and now Medicare will pay me for those um, for that time that I spend. And that's all new. This is all within the last two to three years. 
that um, we've been able to build Medicare for this. So it's really allowing now, if a provider will slow down and, and see fewer patients, they will actually be able to do better quality of care for those patients that, that will eventually spend less money. And that's yeah. what Medicare has to look at is how do we spend less money. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's hard because, you know, the practice, uh, you know, we have a doctor right now. He has 6,000 patients in his practice. Wow. Now, it, you know, if he tried to see all of those patients on a more regular basis or spend more time with them. So what we're encouraging him to do now, we've hired him two nurse practitioners to work with him. Mm-hmm. so that um, those nurse practitioners can spend time with those patients. He can spend more time. And so every time you go to see him now, you might not see him. You may see one of his nurse practitioners instead, but but at the end of the day, you're going to get a higher quality of care mm-hmm. uh, for the patient at a better price for Medicare. Yeah. Again, we can keep them out of the hospital. It's going to save them money. For sure. And, you know, I know money drives so much of this and, and the cost and, and all of that. But the real winner here is the patient because they're getting better care at the end of the day. Yeah. So that, so that's why that's why I did say the people at Medicare have to be brilliant, because mm-hmm. what they've actually been able to do is, is there. It's not just all driven based on the money, but it's interesting that the better quality of care we provide to a patient, the less money that they spend overall. Mm-hmm. So so while we'll have a we'll, so we'll have people, as I said before, who say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're billing two hundred fifty dollars for this visit. That's not the point. The the point isn't that two hundred and fifty. The point is to save the fifteen thousand dollars for the hospitalization down the road. And so if I go into your house even once a week or twice a week because it's justified to do that, and I can help you take your medicines and make sure your meds are being taken correctly or I'm taking you off of meds that you shouldn't be on or I'm, I'm getting lab work to determine what I should do. We actually now have a lab company that will go to every home we service and they'll, they'll do the lab draws. Wow. Um, they, and they, they do that information and then they drop all that stuff right into the provider's uh, to, to the patient's record and it notifies that provider that that information is there. So, um, so by having all of that information there, we have uh, we have companies that will do X-rays in your home too. Mm-hmm. So I can send a mobile X-ray company out to your house. Um, the only thing we can't do, we can't do CAT scans and MRIs. <laughs> There's a few <laughs> tests, you know, we still have to send people out for. But so many, much of it can be done at home, which allows those providers, those patients then not to have, because a lot of our patients just can't get in the car and easily get to the doctor. Either they can't drive, it's too far for them to go, um, or they're going, they're going to a doctor's office and sitting in a doctor's office with 40 other sick people mm-hmm. who are sneezing and flus and colds, and that's how they get sick. So yeah. um, I think we can pr- we can create a better health of of our population and, and our citizens um, by, by this process of what we're doing. Yeah, this is great. I love this. Scott, thank you so much for all this information, and uh, this, is, this is really helpful. All right, thanks, Jamie. I always appreciate being on your show and um, look forward to hearing from you later. All Have right. a good one. Thanks. Just a couple of announcements. Every single month, on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly. 
you are invited, especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker. You can earn up to three CEU credits at this event. You'll hear from a couple different speakers and we're going to provide lunch for only $10. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you come to 1626 on Main in Columbia, South Carolina. You won't regret it. Also, if you'd be so kind to write a review for the LTC University podcast, give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on Facebook and at LTC University on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.